Hey, what's going on, guys? This is your homeboy, DJ Architect. I wanted to talk about something uh, very serious that affects a lot of us, and many of us don't speak about it. If you're in a position of pain, anxiety, deep depression, and you feel like you want to commit suicide or hurt yourself, do me a big, big favor, please. Please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Be safe. Stay alive. Your family loves you. Chapter 74. You are now listening to the chapter of the architect with DJ Architect. What's going on, my peoples? I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you guys are safe. I want to welcome you guys to Chapter 74. In the studio with me today, I have my homeboy, Big Sherm. How you doing, Sherm? Real good, man. How are you? I'm doing, uh, brother, I'll be honest with you. I've been struggling. Guys, I want to apologize for not coming out with a podcast uh, as of recent. I think the last time we did one, Sherman, was uh, in July with with Kenny. Mm-hmm. Guys, I was really struggling with putting this podcast out and coming out with I would consider my my truth and talk about some of the issues that I've been having recently which have bogged me down and you know why I haven't done the podcast. Um before I dive into that, once again, I want to thank you, Sherm, for you know taking time out of your day to be here with me today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wouldn't miss it, man. This is a it's a heavy topic, but it's super important. And uh, since you're going through it right now, I think this is a really good time to talk about it. This is a good chapter. <laughs> yeah, man. This is uh, guys. This isn't easy for me. You know, like like I was telling Sherm earlier today, I feel like I'm. I'm about to take off my clothes and run naked through the mall right. in a position of really exposing myself into some real life situations that a lot of us don't really talk about. And we kind of keep this hidden because of the masks that we wear, uh, whether it be in front of uh, friends, family or social media. Um, there's always some underlying issues that we all have. Life isn't always perfect. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about it today before we go into it. you know, this has just been a bad year. Every day that I wake up in the morning, I thank God that he's giving me another day of life and I say a prayer. But the truth is it, it 2020 has been a bad, bad year. I want to give out some condolences to those who have lost family and friends this year related to COVID and not related to COVID. There's been many people that have suffered great losses this year. And I want to start off by giving condolences to my wife who lost four family members this year. I want to give condolences, Sherm, to you and your wife, the recent, you know, loss that you guys just had. Antonio, good friend of ours uh, of the podcast, Diamond Monsoprano, Julia, Good friend Burgers, Celia, Elizabeth, 
our hearts go out to Tony and Brett, two individuals that we know that are still with us, but were diagnosed with terrible diseases. It's been a hell of a year for those guys. I couldn't imagine going through that. And for a lot of people, just like you said, Ugh, that's heavy. If I missed any other names, I I apologize from the bottom of my heart. It, it was is just so many people that have suffered this year. Uh, once again, oh, uh, a good friend of ours, Raziel, who who lost his father, and and of course, how could I forget? Spanish Fly, Rocky, Rocky. Big shout out to Rocky. We just lost Rocky, and believe it was July. Yeah. And this individual we had on the podcast, uh, a, a freestyle artist, and he was taking away, uh, taken away from us. And condolences to his family due to COVID. Props to him too, man. He um, he documented his whole experience with COVID nineteen on social media, starting from the day he was diagnosed, and we were all kind of following because I, I think he was one of the first of, you know, somebody who we knew of, well, me, I think, because I'm from the West Coast, you got hit a little hard with your people back East, but man, watching that, that was a big eye-opener. I think he, um, he, there was a couple of times where he celebrated his recovery. Right. I mean, it was uh, right. triumphant, right. and um, to see... Him say he's got to stay in for a little bit longer just to be, um, just to have the doctors nearby and then have it, have him go through it all again, but worse. And then finally, um, his demise, man, that was tough. And then his, his son had a heartfelt message for everybody, but he was really strong. The family's staying strong, but yeah, man, I was glued to that one for a month and a half. And it was every, you know, every day you're just praying that that guy would get better. And, um, it, unfortunately he didn't. And, um, and that takes a lot, man, to, uh, to, I don't know, make it a point to document it all when, you know, I, I know that can't be easy. No, no, it, 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 it can't, man. And, uh, <clears throat> listen, man, prayers to everyone out there that's going through this. I feel for you guys, man. I really do, man. I, I, a good friend soprano, you know, lost his uh, brother to COVID his cousin recently passed away in a terrible car accident and uh, many, many prayers to his mother who just came out of surgery. I mean, so he's going through it, man. 2020. He's going through it. And That's a lot insane. of people are going yeah. through it. Condolence. <clears throat> I mean, my wife, man, four people in her family passed away this year. She's a trooper, man. Oh yeah. You know, to go through all that and then be in the state of like isolation, that we're in right now um, with everything, you know, having to stay inside, having to stay away from family, loved ones. It's uh, I know that's got to be making, making the struggle so much more. And, and it, I mean, is that your case as well? As far as your PTSD, do you think isolation is, um, has uh, not been a great benefit or uh, I would, I would say so. I would say so, but I think that was just the cherry on top. You know what I mean? The the overall mass issues that I was that I was going through, the isolation it was. I, I can tell you it was. I think it forces you to face certain issues. I'll tell you what it did for me in the negative. Well, 
because I was forced to work from home, my my the studio guys where I'm recording this podcast right now is where I have my DJ equipment. I have all my microphones set up for recording and uh, production, my mixer, my piano, my guitars. This is where I create. This is where, this is my plant, my place of tranquility, man. And then because I had to make this my office, all of a sudden it became a very toxic environment for me to where, where when I would pass the hallway and look into my studio, my stomach would turn. Damn. So my home became my prison and a toxic environment for me and you know guys when when we would go to work and of course we would complain about traffic but in all reality what i learned was that 45 minutes of traveling from work to home gave you moments of decompression Mm -hmm. whereas here i didn't have that you know, I would just go downstairs, feed the dogs, sit down and and sit in this toxic pool of what I just experienced at work. So, guys, we're going to rewind a bit. And obviously, as Serum says, I, I have PTSD. I've been struggling with PTSD since 2003 after my first tour in Iraq. When I came back from Iraq, my first tour, I was going through a period where I was doing a lot of drinking, specifically the first days. And that's when I first met my wife and she noticed what I was going through and waking up in the middle of the night and it being nine o'clock in the morning and having a bottle of vodka next to me. Guys, it's not easy for me to to tell these stories, but this is the truth. You know, these are some of the things that I had to deal with and go through and i'm sure i'm not the only one i'm not the first and i I guarantee i won't be the last but i ended up getting orders to go to iraq for my second tour immediately i uh i had a perfect circle on the right side of my head where i would get you know my my fade and uh, as much as I told the barber, hey, man, go as tight as you can with it, you could, see, you could still see a perfect circle of hair not growing. And I thought maybe, you know, possible wingworm, something like that. So I went to the doctor, and I was like, hey, doc, I think I might have wingworm or something. And they ran their tests. You know, the doctor came back. He goes, hey, that's not, your, that's not wingworm. He goes, have you received any stressful news as of late, or are you stressed out? And I said, well, I just got orders to go back to Iraq. And he goes, that's it. Kidding me. You, I've heard you say perfect circle before, and I thought it was a metaphor. No. I didn't know you actually had a circle on the side of your head. That's crazy. It's funny because many years prior, a cousin of mine who was going through a stressful uh, situation at home with his family, specifically his mother, he got the same thing. And I never, I never, I never put it together with stress. I just felt, you know, I was just looking at him like maybe he has some kind of, uh, you know, skin disease. I didn't ask him. I didn't want to embarrass him, but that's what happened to me. And then, uh, I got hair on my chest and then half, half the, I think it was the left side of my chest. All my hair started to turn white. 
You're kidding me. <laughs> it's crazy, man. I've never heard anything like that. It was crazy, but it, that is just the effects that anxiety have on the human body, man. It is takes that a hereditary toll. reaction to stress? I don't think so. I, guys, I do have a, like a white strand of hair, like strands of white hair that, that, are, that are in the front of my head. And that, I ended up getting that after my second tour from Iraq. But that shit's dope. That's, well, that's, uh, that I appreciate looks really, that. that. That looks, it looks like you did it on purpose. And for many years, I thought this guy just dyes a chunk of his hair gray, but, uh, that's not the case. <laughs> and you know, what's funny is that, um, my barber would ask me the same thing. She would say, Hey, do you dye that? And I was like, no. And I remember one time a, a guy asked me that. Probably me. No, and I was, it was somebody else. And I was like, no, man. I said, who the hell? Who do you think you are? I was like, I mean, what do you think, man? You think I really have time to sit there and uh, dye my, put highlights into my hair? I was like, no, nah, man. <laughs> Look at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> Damn. So, yeah, guys, I, I've been struggling with PTSD and depression and anxiety, issues with loss of memory and insomnia for a long, long time. And, you know, sometimes there's good days, sometimes there's, there's bad days. But listen, <clears throat> this chapter, it's not about you guys having pity for me. I'm currently going through a bad moment in my life, but I'm going to pull out of it like I've pulled out of other events in my life. This one was just a huge, huge, or is a huge one. And, and, and it probably took me back several years as far as the, the, the progress that I had, that I had accumulated with my counselor. I, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Sure. Would you say that this year is the worst out of the last 15 or so? I mean, is this, it, this, this is as bad as 2003 and 2004. That's crazy. It took so me, you went uh, ten plus years coping, um, coping, coping, and, mm -hmm. and having good and bad days with guys. You know, help, good distractions, right? Right. Help from my psychiatrist. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, some medication. Uh, sometimes, um, self medicating with alcohol, uh -huh. and then with help uh, from a mental health therapist. So. You know, there's things that I've that I've done, and I will talk about which have helped me cope with dealing with the issues that I have. But let's talk about what triggered this tremendous episode that I'm going through right now. You guys are probably aware that. I started a new job this past January, and I will go into the details of what that job, the department is, but I will say it was responsibilities and duties of me having to review claims uh, for veterans. Some of those claims were dealing with PTSD. So it was my responsibility to look and read detailed stories, information of veterans in a combat environment, reading through those details 
investigating and confirming deaths of military members. And that is like putting an alcoholic at the cash register of a liquor store. Eventually, it's going to go bad. Yeah. And it did. It did. Very quickly, I started to have uh, moments of anxiety. Then came the nightmares. And for a long time, I don't want to say a long time. I would say in a span of four weeks, I was trying to go under the radar and not let my wife know because I didn't want her to get worried of what was emerging and what was this feeling that was starting to snowball inside of me. And the moment that I had a nightmare and I'm screaming and she has to wake me up, I said to myself, fuck, now she knows. It's not like the cat is out of the bag. I can't hide this anymore. And guys, the reason why I was trying to hide it was because, you know, as a man, you know, prior, you know, Marine, we suck it up is what we call it. You know, you go through these moments and you tough it out and you say, you know what, this is just one of those phases that I'm going through with the PTSD. I'll, I'll give it some time. Eventually I'll, I'll either become numb or I'll work my way through it. Somehow I'll work this out, but I have to continue to do what I do because you know, you got to pay bills, man. Right. At the same time, do you see how keeping it to yourself probably made it worse? Or, I mean, was that the case or not the case? Yeah, it did make it worse because now it became a process of a pressure cooker mm -hmm. um, theory. Yeah. Where me keeping it bottled up and thinking that I could handle it on my own it made me it made me hang on to the to the live wire of electricity for way too long and it burnt the shit out of me yeah for sure you know do you uh, think a lot of veteran suicides would be due to the fact that these guys are trying to protect their family from their own demons and they're keeping it all to themselves and i mean do you think that could be a large cause of not reaching out for help or talking to anybody that's a good question. And I really I really couldn't tell you. All I can say is and talk about is my experience. Right. I don't know what other people are going through it. And guys, when I I really don't want to bring up stories like that. I know I I've, I've had podcasts before with guys that we did serve in Iraq with, but before we started those podcasts, I asked them not to go into details just because I didn't want anything of that nature to be recorded in time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to actually go back, listen to the podcast um, with a being of, of happiness and a smile and just almost remember the good times. Unfortunately, in, you know, it's moments of some of those podcasts, the water did get muddy. And, uh, you know, that was their choice to go into that part of the story. And all I could do is sit back and, and listen, right? Maybe mm -hmm. they needed to vent as well. And that's another thing. I think why I'm doing this podcast, and once again, thank you for being here, is maybe it gives me 
a chance to vent and purge. Right. And if it helps out any veteran out there, then great. But, you know, we go through life, like I said before, in social media, everything is great. Photographs at a vacation, photograph of a beautiful steak, photographs of the family, everyone's happy. Mm -hmm. uh, but nobody... Uh, Nobody wants to tell a story when they're when they're down and out or tell the truth of, hey, man, um, you know, this is a bad time for me. And not to say that I don't think it's something to to celebrate, but I think it's imperative to reach out for help. I, guys, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to give you an example of what. I went through comparing, well, before I even go there, my cousin, George, back in New York, I love him to death, man. He's he's one of the people that I reach out to on a constant, and, uh, you know, he goes through his issues as well, and we were talking about, uh, he gives me this link regarding complex PTSD. I had no idea what it was. I know of chronic PTSD is something that I have. And guys, chronic PTSD is something, it, it, it's a PTSD that lasts more than six months. And it, and it comes back in, in cycles. Sometimes it, it's, you know, PTSD just doesn't go away. You just have to find ways to deal with it. So complex PTSD, what it is, is when you, and guys, when I say PTSD, this is just not for veterans. This is for anyone who is a civilian and who is listening. You can be on your way to work and see someone get hit by a car and die. Guess what? You have PTSD. Sure. That's, sure. Going, to, that's going to affect you. So when I say PTSD, guys, it's not just for military members or veterans. This is for anyone that has a conscious and goes through a traumatic event. You know, I have a theory to that. Um, kind of, I'm not speaking for all veterans, um, but, you know, we all join the military for our own reasons. Some are because you have a patriotic family that is, that's had uh, generations join the military and you do your part, right? And, and others are um, people that come from broken backgrounds, right? They want to reset and they don't want to stay and even try to mess with it because now they're, you know, they're new adults. And, um, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of the time people make the decision to join the military to get a fresh start. And I think, um, I think a lot of people that are, that join the military, I'm going to say a lot, I don't, I wouldn't know the percentage, but I would just guess that there's a lot of PTSD going into the military. You know, and I, before you even get a whole another kind of PTSD, right? So I think that it's not, I think it's safe to say that it's a, a majority, I would almost say a majority of people that are in the military come from broken backgrounds where they've seen some shit within their own family or their neighborhood, their, um, you know, I, everybody's got a different, you know, background, but I honestly think PTSD is alive even going into the recruiter, you know what I'm saying? So to get your kind of PTSD on top of a PTSD that probably or could have existed, um, I think that's a, that's, you know, it's just a compound 
you know, one on top of the other. And I think it could be that there's something to that. You know what I mean? Compound is a very perfect word to use for it. So let's go back to complex PTSD. I'm talking to my cousin and I'm explaining to him how sometimes when you're in a situation as a child and you go through a traumatic event, like you, you, know, you were saying, within the family or within the neighborhood, that, that forms a development within that child, whether it's going to be negative or positive. And it does impact. Mm-hmm. Obviously, guys, I realize that probably 90% of the population have gone through some kind of traumatic event as a child. And I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to, okay, well, how do you deal with it? Right? You have to somehow cope with that and and come out stronger at at the other end. I think the issue is when you have gone through a traumatic event as a child, specifically when the trauma was induced by one of the parents at such a fragile moment in time where your brain is still developing. I mean, it causes a lot of issues. I know for me, guys, and and here we go again. I had an abusive father, very, a very abusive father who would strike my mom, hit my mom. And at the age I was maybe six years old and I would try to intervene and I get smacked in the face and I'd go tumbling down the staircase. Now, a lot of people listening to this podcast, this might be the first time you guys even ever heard of this, specifically friends of the family. But you know what? I'm not here to sugarcoat. All I'm doing is saying the truth. I'm not making up any lies here, guys. And some way, shape, form or fashion, that have impacted me in a very negative way, but I'm okay. You, you know, I'm not this. Listen, guys, this podcast is is not a pity party for me. You understand? So please do me a favor. I love you, but I don't need or expect phone calls or text messages. This is not. This is just. This is a dissection. Yeah, man. I'm I'm okay, guys. Thank you. You know, just send me. Well wishes through thought. I'll I'll receive them. <laughs> but <laughs> please do not blow up my phone asking me if I'm okay. I'm letting you know I'm okay. That's what he's got me for. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> so going back to, you know, the, the abusive father thing. Look, man, nobody talks about the abuses that happen behind closed doors. And guess what, man? I guarantee you. My family wasn't the only ones going through some issues when we were kids. I guarantee you. And I'm talking about within our circles. But everyone, you know, they they keep it to themselves. And, you know, the, the sad thing about this whole situation is that me and my father, at the age of 18... I'm I'm physically throwing fists at this man's face, still attempting to protect my mother. You know, by that by that that age, and I'm not guys. I'm not saying it happened every single week or every single you know month. You know, but here I am, 18 years old, and my dad's starting to attempt to do this again. And I'm 18 years old, man. My brother's at work, guys. I, 
I'm 18 years old. This is not going to fly today. I'm not seven years old. And what happens? We, we get into a fight. Can we touch on your background just a little bit? Sure. I think, I mean, you've done, this is the 74th or third. Yeah, it's the po- 74th, yeah. 74th podcast. And um, I'm pretty sure there hasn't been too much into, you know, where you come from. Um, as far as your childhood and uh, whatnot. Where do you come from, Carlos? Well, uh, born in El Salvador. My brother, who was three years older than me, was born in the United States, was back home, back in the States with my father. In New York? In New York. And my mother went back to New York and left me to be raised with my grandmother for four years. And after four years, you know, I... I come to New York. I meet my my new family. I meet my brother. Kind of meet your mom too, right? Uh, well, you know what? I recall moments as a child that they would come to El Salvador just maybe once or twice to see me. I, I, I but you know, you're four years old. What, what are you right. really going to remember? All right. I remember is them uh, coming down, and you know, but it's, it's you're a child. What real memories do you have? Got to New York. Our next door neighbor was Rodney Cage. We became really, really good friends. Uh, but our neighborhood, you know, was pretty rough. And this is pre-crack era. So when crack hit, man, it became very a volatile uh, environment. But you know what? At the end of the day, man, we still had moments of happiness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, within the Within the turmoil. Shit but, wasn't taken for granted. I mean... If- no, man. I mean, my parents, as, as bad as I can... And we'll talk about my father. I could also be honest and tell you the truths about his his responsibility of him taking care of us and being a working man, getting up in the morning and going to work and not calling off sick. <clears throat> so if I could talk bad about him, I could definitely be honest and talk the good things and the, the, the great things that he did for us and our family. But <clears throat> what your pops do? He worked at a, a factory where they fabricated... You ever see the uh, a halogen bulb? Yeah. The light, you know, you ever see those those plastic covers that go on top of it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's he would fabricate that. Okay. Okay. And my mother worked at a company called EZM where they fabricated uh, medical equipment such as, you know, urine bags, blood bags, things of that nature. And um and what city were you? This at was New Westbury, New York, one one five nine zero two seventy two Monitor Street. Man, we listen. We had a a good childhood, man. A lot of it, I I hold dear to my heart. A lot of friends that that I hold dear to my heart to this day that I love. A lot of good memories, man. But in reality, the environment really started to turn bad to a point where I remember, I remember we were talking about it on the podcast with my brother and Ray where, um, I mean, we were kids, man. And, and a block away, my mom had one of her friends and there was a, a bodega that was a block away where we would always go get our eggs, our Goya beans, our, you know, milk, Jamaican beef patties, Doritos, quarter waters. Ever so often on a Sunday morning going to get a carton of eggs, the shopkeeper would be washing off blood off the off the, the concrete because adjacent to the bodega was like a makeshift nightclub, like a legal nightclub. You know what I mean? Right. And then someone 
would always end up getting killed or stabbed or shot. And this particular Sunday morning, I forget the, the, the lady's name, but she had a son called William. William was the neighborhood seller for firecrackers and fireworks come 4th of July. He would, him and, you know, his brother, they would go to, who, who was older than him, they'd go to Chinatown, they invest and they come back around the neighborhood and they sell firecrackers to all the neighborhood kids and, hey, mom, I want a hundred, I want a hundred mat firecrackers and Roman candles. You know, you, there goes your mom pulling out a 20. I right, go get it, right? <laughs> so he was like making bank. I mean, obviously, eventually he got uh, arrested. Uh, this is William. But his older brother, I remember this Sunday morning, man, his, his you know, it was early. It was like six o'clock in the morning, man. And um, he, William's mom was beating on the door crying that her eldest son had just got stabbed at the nightclub a block away from we lived where we lived and he managed to make it all the way because they lived like a block um further away from us so they were probably two blocks away from the club and he was able to make it to the front door knock on the front door and collapse and and he died on the porch damn and i, I was a kid man this is like I was maybe six years old, five years old when when I remember this, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was very treacherous, man, growing up in that era and in that area, man. You know, you you could walk down <clears throat> to go get uh, some eggs, man, and end up getting jumped. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, let's fast forward. So, so when I was talking to to my cousin George. I was telling him that, you know, as a child, you go through these these moments of high stress and uh, these moments of trauma. And then it, as an adult, as far as for me anyways, I joined the military and, and being in Marine Corps boot camp was another stressful environment. But I knew that it was a safe environment. You understand what I'm saying? Because it was a structured thing. It wasn't like being out in the streets of New York where nothing was guaranteed. You know what I mean? And I'm not was saying... Was that a selling point? No. No, it was a selling point for me to be like, hey, man, even though you're stressed out, it's a controlled okay. chaos. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, And guys, I'm not saying that it hasn't or it couldn't happen because in training, Marine Corps recruits have died. Mm -hmm. Many. Uh, different circumstances but you know for the for the most part it, it was a stressful thing but uh you know shit how many people had graduated marine corps boot camp right why not me so that's what i went in it with and it really didn't start getting bad until iraq man yeah, why'd you join uh that's a good question Ever since I was a kid, man, I always be the kid that I'd be in the backyard with a stick, makeshift rifle, mm -hmm. creating booby traps. There was, <laughs> there was, um, there was a garage that was adjacent to our house, and it, all the all the alcoholics, all the drunks would go back to that garage and piss. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> That was like one of my hiding spots when we go out there and play army and shit. So every time I went back there, it smelled like piss. So they're fucking pissing on my headquarters. Can't have that, right? So, so I create a booby trap with a, a a shopping cart wheel, right? I use that as a pulley. I I fucking uh, you know somehow I the middle portion of the wheel I I wedged it down. I grab rope. 
and I hammered it onto the tree above it. I created a pulley, and then the trip wire was below. The problem was that the the I, I grabbed a sack full of uh, bricks. The problem was that the sack was too immediately underneath the the pulley or the trip wire. I needed I needed to put the sack three or four feet ahead of the the tr- or behind the trip uh, wire. So what would happen is I would trip it, and as the person kept walking, the bag would immediately fall down with bricks and would it would miss them because they'd keep walking you're like i need military training man this ain't working (laughs) (laughs) if i would have put the pulley two or three steps ahead it would have fell right on their head you know (laughs) so (laughs) guys i was working at this um I was working at a candy warehouse, and I was 23 years old. Forgot the name. Over over by Hicksville, by uh, Cantiac Park. You guys remember Cantiac Park, where the pool was. And um, I always had the military in the back of my my mind, like, "Hey, man, this is you know, this this will always be your way out." And uh, one day, man, I, I'm picking orders, you know for the candy, for this candy warehouse. And I'm saying to myself, what, what, what am I doing here? You keep saying that you always have an out with the military, but I wasn't doing anything about it. I was out of shape. I was probably 210 pounds. And then, you know, irresponsible, drinking 40s, <laughs> drinking 40s, barely knowing how to budget my money. This is 18? No, I'm 23, man. Living on my own. When you joined? No, yeah, oh, twenty three years old. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty old. Yeah, uh, so those you were figure, senior citizens in boot camp. That's the way they looked at me. Yeah, and you know, five years. I could have joined five years ahead of the time. And actually, I attempted to, but I failed the ASVAB. I failed the math portion of the ASVAB. I wasn't too bright when it came to math. And then after that, I was like, ah, fuck it. You know, not, not really having the determination to study Mm. so this one night man i'm drinking a 40 of old english or crazy horse which is even nastier and um i'm watching this movie called Patton, world war ii movie with uh george c scott and i'm like with the buzz of the 40 and i'm like all motivated looking at this army movie i'm like oh shit man and and moments Maybe like 15 minutes into me watching, 20 minutes into me watching the movie, the phone rings, and it's the Marine Corps recruiter. No shit. And he goes, Carlos, are you ready? I said, when you want to pick me up? Yeah. <laughs> like, it it happened like that, man. And, um, and then there were other things that kind of made me want to uh, scram New York. I'm not, I won't go into the details of it, but uh, it was just a... Uh, accumulation of different things where the timing was right. The recruiter called me at the right time. Some other things that happened that I felt could come back and bite me in the butt and I needed to split. Oh yeah. What year is this? This is 1999. Uh, I went, took the ASVAB for a second time, failed it a second time. Math portion. Mm -hmm. Just was never good at math guys. And then, um, the recruiter said to me, he goes, hey, man, what do you want to do? You got to pass this portion. I said, okay. At the time, I didn't have a car. Something had happened. I probably 
Yeah, I think I was driving without insurance, so I, I, it's, I mean, I was going through some shit, man. And um, I said, okay, look, I get out of work at this time in Hicksville. I'll take the bus from Hicksville to Hempstead. And uh, do you got somebody that could help me out with this? And he goes, yeah, one of the pulleys is great at math. And that's what I did. I did it for like three, four weeks, man. Nice. Every single day I would go from Hicksville to Hempstead on the bus and then I would probably be done by 8, 8.30, grab the bus, uh, go to Unidale, and then walk like five blocks to go home. So I was exhausted. You Were know? you the lone wolf out of your crew to uh, join? I mean, do you have any military folk? I do, man. I do. My, my good buddy, Frank Arevalo, which I owe a lot to this guy, man, because when, when my father and I got into our physical altercation my dad chased me out the house with a machete this is how ghetto this guy is he chased me out the house with the machete and i go down to hempstead turnpike at the time there was a roy rogers now there's a mcdonald's there and i call up frank i'm like hey man frank i need you to come pick me up he goes what's up because i just fought my dad punched him in the mouth he ain't like it he chased me out the house with a machete (laughs) (laughs) but he was trying to hurt my mom dude so we weren't playing no games you know and he goes, all right, man, even though we're, th- this is, we might've been, this was 18 years old, man. So technically he doesn't have a car. So he sneaks the van out of his driveway to come pick me up. And I mean, so a big shout out to Frank Arevalo. So Frank actually joined the Marine Corps first. And then several years later, I, I ended up following him. And, you know, we, we, we got stationed at Camp Pendleton for a very short time time period and it, and it was great seeing him man yeah, that's cool so big shout out to frank how, how much earlier did, did i'd say maybe three years earlier okay. oh, yeah. where were you uh 9-11 i was in okinawa japan with a good friend of of mine miguel ramos which is nocturnal son right right and he's from yonkers new york from long island new york and i remember trying to utilize the phone and you couldn't all it was was a, a busy dial tone so I remember it perfectly. I mean, it was nighttime in Okinawa, Japan, and then you just see the the planes hitting the the towers, and then we're getting um, we're getting phone calls. Hey, you guys, uh, pack up your stuff. We may be deployed because we're in Third Marine Division. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously we didn't get deployed, but we got orders to start packing up stuff. We didn't go until you know several years later. But what state of mind were you in then, being in the Marine Corps in Okinawa? when uh, the towers were hit like what was your what was your initial reaction and what was your next day reaction my initial reaction was i can't believe this is happening right like i couldn't i thought fuck man is the pilot's guidance system not working what did he have a heart attack was it a that's what i thought Uh, from the moment you heard it was terrorism ah man i i felt I felt anger. Right. I felt anger. I felt anguish for all the people that were in those towers and, mm-hmm. you know, and for their family, bro. I was, I, I was, I was in shock, but I also wanted to kick ass. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I was That's like, your home, right? I mean, somebody's got to pay for this. It's man. all our homes, but that right. was your home. Somebody's got to pay for this, man. And uh, I, th- I think the, the feeling was mutual, man. You know, and there were, we had, there were people there from Pennsylvania, from Los Angeles, and everybody was like, somebody's going to fucking pay. Mm-hmm. 
Sandos out there, God damn it, they're gonna pay. You know, we we were we were ready, man. And the right. next day, we were, it, it, I think it seeped in, and everybody was just pissed. And I remember we were, we did a PT run, and it was one of the hardest PT runs we did, man, because we were like, hey, man, if we're gonna go, we better be in tip top shape, you know. Right. That's what got me to the recruiter. Really? Yeah, I was there uh, probably three or four weeks after. Hey, man. Well, kudos to you, man. I know a lot of people join the military because of that. And I think that says a lot about individuals who do that because there is no there is no lying when it comes to individuals like that. You know, something happened. They felt a feeling strong enough to say, you know what, I'm going to make. And you guys might not, not have considered it at the time, but it was a huge sacrifice. Like I say, though, I think it, it's a recipe. So it's, you know, I mean, military was never, never anything I ever would have imagined um, getting into. I worked, I was running a warehouse at a golf joint and uh, never, I mean, we grew up in Oceanside, right? Mm. So uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, we didn't like Marines. We mm. didn't like, mil- we didn't like anybody in our city, right? I can so, imagine you got a bunch of strangers in your city. Right. So you are kind of, you know, aside from family patriotism, you are, uh, you know, you look at those guys like they're just stealing our chicks, basically. True that. <laughs> uh, so, but it, I, when I say recipe, I mean, you know, if you are on the verge or you are teetering going, you know, I do need a fresh start. You know what I mean? Like a lot of us would like to throw away our driver's license and find another one and just maybe pop up somewhere else. And that's kind of what the military did for a lot of us. You know what I mean? To where you could just be, you could disappear, basically. That's what the military provided for me. And at the same time to have, I mean, that was just the pushing, you know, okay, towers are down. That's it. All right. I have made my decision. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think we all need that moment of... Where we're standing on the edge and someone just kicks you in the ass. You're mm-hmm. like, all right, thanks. Really, it's fucked up, but that's what I needed. Right. But if hey, I have aspirations to do something else, my childhood was just jiffy or, you know, whatever. I mean, why would I go? I wouldn't go. I'd stick around where shit's going pretty pretty nice. You know what I mean? And, I w- you know, I don't blame any anybody that had, you know, uh, they were following their goals. You know what I'm saying? So they had goals set young. They did it. They are living it today, and I would never hold anything again. You know, a lot of no, our no, elders. Sure. I, I, I absolutely have, not. There's a big group of baby boomers, you know, that would look at people who didn't join as, you know, lazy or soft. Right. Yeah. But that's not the case. You know, right. we have smart I agree. individuals. People are needed in other jobs. That's right. You, you can't you give all up your can't dream. join the military. Mm-hmm. Why the Navy? Uh, because of the ports and stations i mean coast good idea right so i I wanted to stay close to the beach and yeah i looked at army in air force and i was like (laughs) i'm not going to kentucky or oklahoma or you know just some like i have a god brother who uh, carlos ayala uh, god rest his soul who passed away in 2014 Mm. man it's uh, i love this guy and all we know we all looked up to this guy man He's, he's such a big heart and I remember at 13 years old, I think I might have been in seventh grade, and I remember writing him a letter, and he had just got deployed to the first Gulf War. And I remember him writing me back, and he's, he's telling me, he goes, hey, if you want to join the military, join the Navy. You're going to go 
and have the opportunity to go to different ports and different different locations mm-hmm. in the world. And he goes, if you want to fight, join the Marine Corps. Right. And uh, <clears throat> that always stuck with me, man. And I was, you know, not, and I'm not talking bad about any other branch of service, but as a whole, to me, I always thought the Marine Corps were the were the best. They get the most respect for sure. Yeah. Uh, even you know, as a sailor, I you know everybody. Everybody acted different when those guys walked in. That's just the way it goes. And guys, there's um, a lot of you guys who are civilian may not know the the jokes that are said about Marines. They say if you if you have a bunch of crayons and crayons in front of coloring crayons in front of Marines, that gobble, gobble. they consider that a snack. They're so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> but from what I learned. Because you actually have to be pretty intelligent to be a grunt, to be a machine gunner, to be a mortarman, be artillery, and to call for fire. You can't be a dummy because you end up killing your own people. You really have to be pretty smart. <clears throat> so, guys, let's let's rewind a bit. So, going back to the situation where, <clears throat> as a as a kid, you go through these you know situations of stress and situations of of trauma. And then you fast forward, and like you said, Sherman, you compound different other situations and different other traumas. So now, guys, I'm going to explain to you or attempt to explain to you what happened to me. Imagine two vehicles are manufactured the same day. One vehicle is only driven on the weekends. The tires are rotated. All change is is done when needed. It's in mint condition. The other vehicle's is driven 400 miles, hits pot roads left and right. The tires are bald. 24-7. There's no oil in the engine. Transmission's about to freeze. I mean, it's 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 in bad shape. And fast forward that 20 years, what do you get? One vehicle still in mint condition, and the other one where the, the piston rod breaks and, and comes out of the block of the engine. Technically, what I'm saying is <clears throat> the engine seized due to it being revved and run so hard for so many years and having no oil and not being taken care of, really. That's what happened to me. I went into a a situation where my, my nervous system just crashed. I'm broke because I had never really taken care of myself. And I'm in that process right now of recovery. And one of the hardest things that when my wife found out that I was going through this and she saw, oh, man, this is bad. This is 2003 bad. Man, I love her so much because she automatically put herself in a situation where she where she said, "Okay, I got to get this guy out of this. And what she would do was on Saturdays and Sundays, she would say, okay, we're going to the beach and try to put me in a, in a position of relaxation. You know what I mean? And guess what, man? It worked Yeah. for a moment. Hmm. One of the last few times, and I'm at the beach, and I could no longer enjoy and take in the tranquility of where I was because I, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, hey, man, tomorrow's Monday. Uh, I was like, oh, shit, man. And so like mid-August, I immediately called the VA and I was like, hey, look, I need to get a hold of my my previous mental health counselor. I got to reconnect with her. Called up my psychiatrist. 
I knew how big the ball was starting to snowball, and I know how I knew how fast it was going. Like it was just it was going from zero to sixty to eighty, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Anxiety attacks. Oh my goodness, guys! And I don't want to get nasty or disgusting with it, but it would be five or ten minutes prior to me logging in, and I'd have the runs. Mm-hmm. I have the shits two or three times, and my wife's like, "Yo, what, what's going on?" It's it's and that's what anxiety will do to you, man. I recall one of the last days where I was like, you know what, this is it. It was a Friday, and I normally would look forward towards the weekend. And it was a Friday, and I'm just about to get off of work, and I feel this impending doom, like the wall, the ceiling was coming down on me. And I I recall, I, I, I realized that I was no longer looking f- towards the weekend, it was Friday, and I was already thinking about Monday, hoping that I didn't get another PTSD claim. Mm. And that's when I said, you know what, man? I'm in trouble. I'm in big, big, big fucking trouble. And uh, I took days off, man. I took so many days off avoiding, attempting to avoid the anxiety, attempting to avoid the PTSD claims, uh, you know, the production standards. I mean, it was just compounded. The error quality, you know, systems they had, it was just overwhelming, man. And I think one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make, one of the most, was to call my supervisor and tell him, hey, I can't do this job anymore. Hmm. Yeah, after that, man, you're not, I can't fool them anymore. I'm not flying underneath the radar anymore. They they know, but it was so imperative that I told him that. And the moment that I told him that and that he was aware, he said to me, why did you wait so long to tell me? And he goes, why did you wait so long? I said, hey, man, I got to try to take care of business, man, you know? And he goes, you'd be surprised how many people go through this specific thing, specifically combat veterans. As a matter of fact, Several years ago, he had to take a month off because the job was that stressful. Whether or not he was a combat veteran, I don't know. I know he was he was in the Navy, uh, but I don't take anything away from anybody. But it was needed, man. Like I had to do it. In the moment that I that I told him, there was a level of of where the the severity of the anxiety went down one level, and I was able to catch my breath. Like, I didn't feel perfect, but I was able to be like, okay, that's the, the, the moment that I needed to, to, to catch my breath, man, because I was at that moment where something terrible was going to happen. I mean, you know, more so were a situation where like, I would have mentally been in a, a mental facility. Mm-hmm. It, it was that bad. Or, or who knows? I was already starting to get chest pains, but it was that bad. Listen, guys, um... Even though it's tough for me to say this, this is the truth. It's, it's what, what, what I'm going to tell you. It's the truth. This, this, this happened. It was one of the most difficult decisions I had to make, but it, it needed to be done. Now I'm in a situation where, you know, I'm seeing my via the phone, my mental health counselor two times a week. I speak to my psychiatrist once a month. I'm nowhere near out of the tunnel. But um, I took the first step to correcting the situation. And the first step was pretty much telling my supervisor, hey, I can't do this job anymore. It's a big step. It's a huge step, bro. That is a big step. Let me tell you, man, 
it takes real big a real big heart to make that decision happen because guys look and and I I don't recommend I'm not stating that what's good for me is good for you. I am fortunate that my wife and I have some kind of reserves in the bank that could support us while I'm going through this this time. But sometimes it's necessary in order for you to to survive, man, and be able to get up the next day, man. You know, there's a there's an individual who I think is outstanding. And, uh, you know, David Goggins, I don't know if you know of him, yeah. he's the former Navy SEAL, the guy's a fucking beast, and I listen to his podcast, mm-hmm. and his book is off the fucking hinges, the guy's a goddamn monster, you know, but sometimes that type of mentality is not warranted, sometimes you really have to take care of yourself, man, in order to come back energized to have that mentality, but but if you're if you are run down and you know you and listen, everybody knows their breaking point. And I had just for the first time in my life, I reached my breaking point where my nervous system just shut down. Never happened to me before. Even in two thousand three and two thousand four, I was still able to cope. Hmm. You know, but in this situation, there was no relief. Why? Because. It always took me back to a claim and me having to read the details of someone else's experience, me battling against the the clock of having to produce so many claims per day, uh, uh, you know, catching errors left and right. And all this amounted to a very snowball into a very uh, bad, bad place for me, man. And I had I had to hit the eject button before I hit the mountain. Hmm. And, you know, now I'm on the road to recovery, which leads me into my next thing, man, is don't be afraid to share the struggles that you're going with with family and friends. And like I said, I love my wife for being so my rock, man. You know, and what she's done for me, and I'm talking about back in 2003 as well, man. Goodness, I owe her a lot. A lot. Hmm. And and that's why I appreciate people like you, man. Where I feel comfortable enough to where I can I can talk to you. And, and guys, if there are just certain people in your life that you just feel more comfortable having these conversations with. Why? Because they could relate or because they've gone through a, a certain tragedy or a certain situation where, where they could just, they can relate. And at the same time, while you're, you know, they're listening to you, you can sit back and listen to them. And, and sometimes that's even more helpful because now you're not focused on your own uh, situation. Now you're focused on helping somebody else. Yeah, I was in the Navy. I wasn't combat, but um, being in the military, uh, it's put me close to a lot of people who were in combat, and I've had, not had to, I've had the privilege of being there for them, and I've um, I've worked with Marines very closely. Um, I've worked on a Marine Corps base where they were my partners. Um, I've lost a few of great ones. And uh, I've seen a lot get injured. I've seen, I go golfing with guys that have some crazy PTSD where 
um, there's been times where it's hard to even get through 18 rounds without something hmm. happening to them mentally, uh, or 18 holes. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, uh, firsthand combat, no, but, uh, just, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I have a pretty good, um, insight and in what's going on just because these are all my homies that are going through some really hard times. And it's always really important to, uh, pick up the phone and call and do your rounds basically and check on your people. And, um, Man, it's tough. It's it's tough to hear. Uh, you know, it's tough to watch you struggle. But at the same time, it's a blessing to know that you can call me. And um, I'm glad you can talk to me. If you couldn't, you know, I would feel even more sick. So I'm glad that uh, I am somebody who could pick up the phone. I can be here. I, I, I just recently moved closer to you. So that's cool. I could pedal my drunk ass down here and, <laughs> and uh, crack some crack some beers but uh man i i had uh one it was three or four years ago i was on social media and i saw a friend that i didn't really talk to that much but we served together and he went on to do um he went overseas in the sand whereas i did not but he had some issues and he said some shit basically goodbyes on social media and um, I caught it and it was early morning. I was about to go to work and I couldn't get a hold of him after he basically said, peace out world. I mean, that's his statement was pretty bold oh, or man. rough or uh, blunt. And so I called the suicide hotline and um, those were, they were just awesome. And I don't look, I only had this guy's cell phone number that he didn't pick up. I had his social media. I said, look, it's not me. It's not me. Um, but here's the deal. I'm about to go to work right now. And I, you know, I can't spend too much time unless I call off sick. And if you tell me to call off sick, I will. But I need to track down this guy's family right now. And I don't know if you guys can assist. So this guy stayed on the phone with me. As I did my research, he did his, and he'd be like, what about this? What about this? What about this city? I didn't even know what city the guy lived in. Oh, wow. But at the end of about a two hours of him and I putting our heads together, suicide hotline, on the phone, he was able, we were able, we were able to track down where his mom lived, find out that he was living with her, and she was a vice or some, I don't know what her, she was admin at a high school or something like that. Mm. Um, authorities went in and grabbed her and said, here's the situation. Do you know where your son is? And I felt like a narc, but you know, because that's just in our, that's, that's what we feel like when we're calling and ratting somebody right, out, right. you know? So this was really difficult. Um, but authorities went to the school, took her out and said, do you know where your son is? And she's like, yeah, he's at work. And she goes, well, or can we go and maybe talk to him? Yeah. And uh, they got him. They got him out. Got him some help. I haven't talked to the guy ever since. I talked to his buddy, who um, keeps in connection with him in Tennessee. I went and had lunch with that guy, and he told me that uh, the guy got help and he's good. Good. Um, but yeah, I mean, suicide hotline isn't just for people who have a gun to their head. Man, well, good for you, bro. Good yeah. for you for <clears throat> having the balls to do that, man. 
yeah, it felt weird at first. Uh, you know, after you get a little bit of confirmation that that may have been for the best, it's uh, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling, and it, you know when somebody's putting messages out like that on social media. Yeah, they're asking for help. Yeah, I I uh, I would agree. Now, brother, obviously, you know, just because you you haven't been to combat, and and this is for anybody too, man. This is for civilians as well. Just because you haven't been in combat, man, you you go through your moments as well, don't you? Absolutely. What what do you, if you don't mind me asking, what do you what what issues do you deal with? Oh, um, I have a panic attack disorder. I have an anxiety disorder. Uh, lots of that is from childhood issues. Um, you know, even present family issues, marital issues. Uh, situations like that. Um, sometimes they keep me out of work. Um, sometimes they make it to where I have to lock myself in the shower. I, for some reason, that's kind of like a place where I, uh, I can kind of reset. But I usually, if I'm having some sort of panic attack, I will go into a shower, sit on the shower floor in the dark with some hot water and deal with it. No way. And, and um, when... You know, I haven't had that too much this year, surprisingly, but I've had it in recent years, and um, I'm not sure what what has uh, made it kind of made me do a little better. Um, but anyway, I mean, yeah, a lot of people have panic attacks. You know, we don't know what it stems from. A lot is hereditary. A lot is seeing stuff as a kid or, you know, just going through the regular family stuff. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. And... And guys, for those for those who you who are listening, listen, man, we all go through some stuff. I don't think there's one person that we know personally that has not gone through some kind of trauma, some way, shape, form, or fashion. So, hey, guys, it's 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 not just us. I'm sure you guys that are that are listening right now have gone through something or. Are going through some are going through something, and you're not alone. I think. I think at the end of the day, is it's how you deal with it. So, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast, even though I was very hesitant to do it, was. And listen, guys, I'm not some expert. I'm just telling you guys what I find that is working for me even though I'm not out of the woods yet. But if there's something that I find that I f- that is helpful to me, and if I keep that to myself, I'm doing a huge disservice to anyone else who's going through the same things that I'm going to and not spread out that, that information. I think it's selfish. I mean, we're here to experience and to learn. And, and if we keep that to ourselves when other people are in very bad shape and need that information i i i think it's um it's a huge slap in the face to people that that need that help i don't want to go to the grave with with something that can help other people so what are you doing what is helping you so guys what i'm doing right now is i'm right now i'm not working guys which I come to find out is 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 a whole different 
beasts within itself because now I'm into depression. You know, the anxiety is still there, but now I'm going into a depression where, look, it's not normal for a person who has worked 20 years, 29 years, 30 years for all of a sudden find themselves not working. But, you know, I think it's imperative that for me anyways, that I find some kind of schedule to keep me busy, whether it's going outside and to the backyard and, and or going to the garage and cleaning and staying busy. So what I do is in the morning when my wife wakes up to go to work, I'm, I'm out of bed. So by 6.30, I'm going for a walk. And I just got into meditation. And guys, I'm from the streets of New York, man, Westbury, New York, <laughs> man. Who the hell would ever think that I'd be attempting to meditate? And to be honest with you, I don't think I do it correct. But what I come to find out is that there's different forms of meditation. There's the sitting form where you're sitting down and you're concentrating on your breath. And then there's other forms of meditation where you, you could be going on a walking meditation. And, med and what I come to find out is meditation is really being aware of your environment and more so being aware of your thoughts a lot of times. And I got to, first of all, let me give a, a big, a big thanks to my mental therapist, China Long. Oh man, <laughs> she will bend her schedule left and right like a pretzel to accommodate me, man. So China, if you're listening to this one day, thank you so much for being there for me. I have a great relationship with her, man. And, you know, uh, thank you, China, if you're listening to this. But look, guys, there. So in the morning, I go on this meditative walk. I come home, I feed the dogs, I try to stay busy. I try to dive into as many things, you know, tools. There's individuals that you could find on YouTube and, you know, other websites these professionals, they can help you, you, you know, and, and I would advise you to, to seek professional help as well. But there's people like Dr. Joe's Dispenza, Esther and Jerry Hicks, Earl Nightingale and Wayne Dyer. These individuals have so much knowledge and tips and experiences that you don't necessarily have to listen to one. You can listen to all four and, and take tidbits of, of each and maybe that'll help you out. But what I have learned, Brother Sherman, is is this. Is I'm at a moment right now where I could really take advantage and leverage the time that I have. Like before, I would go through therapies all these different things, but I would never put the 100% effort. And the reason why is because I was always working a full-time job, so I'd be exhausted. And and you know how, how it is. You used to work the same schedule, working a 13-hour job. You come home, you'd be exhausted. What real effort would you give in to rebuild yourself? Not a lot. You mm -hmm. were exhausted. Now I have all the time in the world to really, even though I'm I'm going through this turmoil this is my opportunity to start rebuilding myself and really putting in the thousand percent effort to start taking care of me for the first time in my life and rebuilding myself to come out changed. 
You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm going to take advantage of it. Awesome. I'm going to find out if if I don't take this time to take care of myself, how I'm going to take care of my wife. When you had that joy of going to the beach and you said it died off because you were thinking about Mondays, is that something you can revisit now? That's something I'm not going to revisit. And I think that's, <clears throat> don't get me wrong, I'm peeling back the layers of onion. Mm-hmm. But while doing it, I'm I'm also learning. I'm also learning through the moments of depression and anxiety. You you self-induce stress a lot. Mm-hmm. So it was impossible for me to leave that stressful environment. Why? Because I was always committing myself to it. It was like reopening the wound and constantly putting salt into it. It would never heal that way. So in order for me to start healing, I had to pull myself out of that situation, meaning I had to say, this job is not for me. That was step one. You see what I'm saying? There is no David Goggins. We're going to fucking muscle our way through it. No, man, not for this one. Mm. We're going to muscle through it, but in a different way. We're going to go deeper and come out stronger, but it's not this avenue of a reproach. So I had a, that, that was step one was to pull myself out of that situation to attempt to let the wound heal and not constantly put salt into it. Right. I think you're smart to realize that Goggins won't work for everybody. Absolutely not. I mean, guys, he's a motivating son of a bitch, and the guy is a monster and a beast, and I salute and respect him. And I utilize some of his, you know, like his books for my own motivation. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes I'm on a run and I'm thinking about him. Like, hey, man, another five minutes ain't going to kill you. You know, and I'm just, you know, and the thing is I could barely run because of the injuries I have to my left ankle. So, but now the pool's back open. Hey, brother, so I'm in that son of a bitch for an hour, man. Like, here we go. Yes, this is going to. And that's another thing, guys, is exercise really reduces stress. Mm -hmm. It really does. Also praying. Getting up in the morning and having gratitude and telling God, man, thank you for another day of life. And then looking at my wife and saying, you know what, man, thank you for sticking around me. I've been such a fucking douchebag and, and not giving you the attention that you warranted. And, you know, it, 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 I am really in the process of reconstructing and rebuilding myself. Like I said, guys. I'm not a master at this. I'm just starting off to learn, uh, not even learning, attempting to do meditation, but eventually I'll get good at it. But what I am realizing is this. If you continue to think about the things that stress you out, you will continue to be stressed out. If you continue to think about the things that gave you depression, listen, these things are based off of memory. Right. So if we keep relieving and replaying these memories in our mind, it's going to manifest that feeling. So the first thing that that I've come to realize from these, you know, these individuals that I named earlier on, Joe Dispenza and Esther and Jerry Hicks and Wayne Dyer and Earl Nightingale is is hey man. Number one. Be aware. Of your emotion. Be aware of what you're feeling. Like, wake up. You wake up and you're depressed. 
realize you're depressed. Okay, I'm depressed. Why am I depressed? Well, I know why I'm depressed. I'm depressed because of a situation that happened several years ago or months ago or yesterday. Okay, if I keep thinking about that, I'm running a program that will be on autopilot if I let it. So number one, acknowledge your feeling. Okay, I'm feeling a certain way. I'm, 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 I have anxiety. Okay, I have anxiety because of this. Okay, guess what, man? By you having anxiety or by me having anxiety will not fix the fucking problem. Mm-hmm. All it's going to do is induce more anxiety. So what do you do? You put a thought in your mind that's a positive thought to take you out of that negative emotion. And by putting, and don't get me, guys, don't get me wrong. It's not easy because we've been brainwashed and programmed for so many decades that, oh, woe is me. I was abused. I was smacked around. I was, you know, I saw this. I saw that. I did this. I did that. And it, we are, we have to break that habit. And it's hard because we've done it for so long. And sometimes we're driving and we all, we, 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 it's like a a background music. It's playing and we have no idea and we're subjecting ourselves to that emotion and we don't even know it. It's a program that's running and we're not even aware. So the moment you say to yourself, oh man, I have anxiety. Okay, cool. Let me, let me, I realize that. Let me change the circumstances. Let's put a, a positive emotion into my brain. And, and that thought becomes emotion. Right. You know, and then it's hard, but you just have to be conscious always of what you're putting into your thoughts. You know, do me a favor, man. You see that, that sticky note at the very top? Can you, can you uh, pull that down and read that? Yeah, and, and pull the other one, too. These are sticky notes, and before I used to put like all these different things on my whiteboard, and these are like you know little guiding things to help me out. Be very careful of what you think. What you think is what you make real. Um, I decided sooner or later I'd have to get over this. If not, it would kill me. I just pick sooner than later. And and guys, don't get me wrong. Once again, I'm not saying that I'm out of the woods, man, but I'm taking the steps, I believe, in the right direction to pull myself out. And if these things help you, then take them. You know, the positive the positive thought, like I said, listen, guys, sometimes I'll be on autopilot and I'll put myself, I'll induce a depressive mode or anxiety mode based off of, man, I hope this happens, I hope this happens. But we can't control that, man. So between thinking about it and talking about it, I think talking is a remedy for thinking. VFWs, man, VFWs and, uh, you know, different organizations where people get together just to talk, right? I mean, uh, that's where the VFW can be a beautiful thing. Uh, Not always because most of the time you're getting shit-faced, but... uh, (laughs) You know, my dad utilized VFW forever, and it was a place where he could go to people who understand him and his problems 
and he, I mean, he's there right now. I promise you. Um, <laughs> he guy bought a house right next to his VFW so he could walk to it. And I mean, that's his shrink. Uh, beer's always been his shrink as well, but mm. so now he goes and drink beer, drinks beer with other combat vets, and they have each other. And I mean, he didn't talk to me about the shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because and I don't, I don't blame him. Uh, yeah, he doesn't uh, talk to people right. at his work who were not veterans or right. could not like, Relate. or he didn't want to put that on somebody that hasn't been there, right? Because right. yeah, they look at you like, what do, you, what do you want me to do? I, I don't. But know I what... still think if you have a friend or family member that is obviously offering an ear, use them. Uh, definitely take their hand. And don't feel like you have to be like, well, they'll, they won't understand or I don't want to put this evil on them. If that person is volunteering themselves because they want to help you because they care about you, I think you got to use it. I, think, I agree. And, and so, um, yes, I think thinking about it, that is something you want to cancel out, right? And talking about it will help that. Other activities like what you're doing with swimming and walking and meditation, great. Um, but I just don't want anybody to think that talking about it is something you need to not do. Like talking about it is different than just thinking and wallowing about it by yourself in your own. Hey guys, yeah, listen, don't, don't take what I'm saying as a blueprint that it will work for you because I just want to reach a, a, a moment of tranquility and peace and maintain that for as long as I can through how many hours I can of the day and then subsequently have it bleed into the next day. Hmm. And if I could get, if I can do that, then I'm achieving my moment of peace and tranquility, man, because you know what, at the end of the day, that's really all I want money possessions. You can't take that to the grave with you, man. There was a, there was a gentleman that I met at the pool and him and I, we spoke previously, uh, his name is, goodness, man, uh, uh, Jamie, a Caucasian elder individual from Africa. I thought he was from Australia because of his accent. We're in the exercise pool and, and we're just walking, you know, like running, walking in the pool. And I noticed he had dog tags and him and I, we had spoken previously, you know, years before at the pool, but we never really got into a conversation uh, and then he sees me, he goes, Hey, I remember you. I say, Hey, what's going on? Obviously we didn't know our names. We we were never, you know, we never introduced each other. And, and I said, Hey boss, I've seen you here, you know, since I started swimming here three, four years ago, you know, my name is Carlos and, you know, he introduced himself. He goes, hey, I said, you have dog tags, you prior military, obviously. Yeah. And he started telling me that he was a first Lieutenant in the Vietnam war in the army. And, um, you know, I told him, uh, uh, you know, much respect, and you know, I gave him all these accolades because those guys went through a brutal time, man. Bro, he just starts purging, pouring out. I'm just sitting back listening, man, and he he's telling me, yeah, you you have no idea of what it is to, to be in one second in combat and the next moment you're not. And I'm just I'm just letting him purge, bro. Sure. I'm not, right. you know, Good for you. I, you're right. Good I'm for just you. I keep going at it, and then. Uh, you know, I said, hey, uh, you know, there was a pause and I said, hey, man, thank you for your service. I'm I'm a previous staff sergeant Marine Corps. And he came up to me and then he goes, fuck COVID. 
And he shook, man, we both shook hands, you know? And, uh, you know, we spoke for about a good 45 minutes. I said, okay, Jamie, I, I got to go. I got two basset hounds at home waiting for me. And then I'm getting out of the pool, man. And he comes and he follows me to where I had my bag. He's still in the pool and I'm out, you know, on top, you know, getting my gear. And he goes to me, Carlos, he says, I appreciate you. I hadn't talked about Vietnam in the past 20 years. Oh, shit. And he says, this was such a helpful thing for me. Thank you. And I said, no. Uh, Thank you. Tearing up. Thank you, because what you just did for me was give me a moment of peace of what I was going through in my mind, and I was able to sit back and listen to you. So thank you for giving me a moment of, of tranquility and allowing me and you know, for you to open up to me. I mean, I, bro, like sometimes God puts people in people's path for a reason. And I'm not saying that I'm going to become best friends with this gentleman, but I'm going to see him again. But the next time I see him, I'm going to shake his hand and be like, hey, man, thank you for opening up. You know, he didn't have to. Mm. But guys, what I'm saying is in, in this once again is not a podcast for veterans this is a podcast for human beings if you could be a lending ear to somebody who is in need please do it and if you are going through some kind of turmoil or trouble call somebody and if you are my friend and if i know you and even if i don't know you get a hold of me put a comment down below on this podcast man reach out to me i have no issues with taking some time to be there for somebody because God knows how many people have been there for me, countless individuals, and they've given me great advice. And, um, you know, if, if myself or Sherm could do that for other people, by all means, man, uh, let's help each other out. We're all human beings. We're supposed to be here to care for each other. And, guys, uh, please take care of yourselves. Be specifically safe with this COVID. This thing is dangerous. It's dangerous. It's taking lives. Isolation of, of working from home. Listen, guys, it'll catch up to you. Keep that in mind. So have things uh, happen within your family to to break that monotony and, and talk to your spouse. Don't be afraid. Like I was trying to hide it from my wife and then finally she found out and the best thing that could have done, I should have came to her from the beginning and, and spoken to her. She helped me before in the past. Why Why would she not help me again? You know, so just take care of yourself, guys. And, and you're and, not weak, man, if you go to therapy. Absolutely not. Therapy man. is a beautiful, beautiful it thing. It is. It is. And, and once again, guys, listen, if you have suggestions to help that have helped you out, please comment below. It'll help somebody else out. Please share. If you need someone to talk to and, and, and you don't feel that you can call someone, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Sherm, do you have anything you want to add? No, that's it, man. Out? I mean, that was the point I just wanted to hit was therapy. I mean, I'd love to, you know, I've had my own issues in the last couple of years and I wouldn't have been able to get through it if I couldn't talk to a third party. And that's, you know, we choose who we talk to. You could talk to family members and friends, or you could talk to a third party that has no interest in your politics or, you know, like, uh, just, they're just there to lend an ear. They're not there to, um, 
you know, really give their opinions, but just give kind of helpful instruction on how you can uh, better yourself. And that's about it. That's about it. Right. Right. And, and guys, the, the beautiful thing about talking to a therapist is that's their occupation. So, uh, I mean, they, we all have unique situations, but I, I guarantee you they're going to have tips that are going to help you out. And um, they're professionals. So don't be afraid to, to seek professional help. And whatever tools that you can put in your toolbox to help you out, use them. Like really give them a chance. Try them out. Work them. Do the work. I'm sure you're going to come out a better person. And if it doesn't work, try something else. Uh, as long as it's not putting your life in danger and, and it's not putting you in, in a more dis- dangerous situation. And we, we got to help each other to pull ourselves out of this dark hole, man. I love you guys. Please, please be safe. Hopefully I can come out with a with a, another podcast here very soon. Uh, but if not, you guys hopefully understand why. And uh, I'll keep you guys updated. I love you guys. Uh, once again, this has been Chapter 74 with my great, great friend, Big Sherm. Love you guys. Be safe. Peace. DJ Art.